Welcome to episode nine of You Are Not A Frog, making change happen in a world full of no-nos. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, hospital doctors and other busy people in high-stress jobs. Working in today's high-stress environment, you may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you might not have noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. You've got used to feeling constantly busy and are often one crisis away from not coping. Let's face it, frogs only have two choices, to stay in the pan and get boils alive or to hop out and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. I'd like to tell you about our new CPD forms. If you want to learn while you listen and claim CPD points, then go to the link in the show notes and sign up to receive our fully downloadable podcast CPD forms. Each one is populated with show notes and links so that you can listen, reflect and then note down what you're going to do. A quick, easy and enjoyable way to do your CPD. In this episode, I'm chatting with Ben Gowland from Ockham Healthcare. He's got loads of experience in the NHS of bringing people together and making change happen. So I'm really pleased to have with me on the podcast today, Ben Gowland, who's director of Ockham Health and also the host of the very popular General Practice podcast. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, so like you say, I'm director at Ockham Healthcare. I've been doing that for about four years and really enjoying that working with practices, often with groups of practices, but and like you mentioned, we also have been doing the general practice podcast, which we've been doing weekly now for quite a long time, since 2016. And that's sort of steadily grown over the sort of three, three and a half year year period. So that's been fun as a as a whole project to be part of. So I wanted to interview Ben for a change because he's normally one the one behind the microphone interviewing other people. And he's doing some really interesting work with GP federations, with practices. And I think that there's some learning that we can all take away from it. So first of all, Ben, can I just ask you about your journey? How did you get to be doing what you're doing today? Well, I mean, I'll give you the bridge version. But so when I was a graduate, I joined the NHS Management Training Scheme, which is like just a training scheme for, for managers. So I worked in hospitals to start off with, I was at Guy's Hospital and, and then sort of migrated into some national roles. And then in about 2007, I took on a role as um, leading a, a GP federation uh, in Northamptonshire. That was in the days of practice-based commissioning. And that was, that was really good fun working with 70 practices in Northamptonshire. And that was some really good learning about getting practices to work together. And then, of course, CCGs came along. And so I ended up as the um, accountable officer of the... Uh, CCG. But, but one of the things I found was having had the freedom of working in general practice and with federations, and I know we can talk about that freedom, how, whether it feels real or not, but compared to the statutory organizations in the NHS like hospitals and, and CCGs, there is a lot of freedom and, and I found that I missed that. And so I'd always wanted to set up my own business and it was like, I'm either going to do it now, or I'm not going to do it. So then, so back in 2015, decided to set up Ockham Healthcare and that's what I've been doing since. So who tends to be your clients with Ockham Health? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. When we first started up, I thought, well, we did quite a bit on trying to understand pretty deeply the, 
problems that general practices are experiencing and made a, a video and talked to lots of people about you know exactly what was going on and what it was like and so set up a program to support individual practices um, but then I found just with my own experience of having worked in in CCGs and, and in the system where I was being able to add most value was actually in helping practices to work together so helping practices to work with each other and then helping groups of practices to sort of relate to the rest of the system better so you know primarily over the last sort of two or three years it's been with helping groups of practices work together and then helping that group of practices kind of work as a wider as a part of the wider system so presumably you've seen a lot of practices come together and merge a lot of federations form a lot of practices work together well or perhaps not so well yeah yeah and obviously <laughs> often when you start in a place it's where things aren't going so well mm. so yeah and it's, and it's interesting I, I think you know working at scale isn't a magic bullet for general practice mm. and sometimes if the only solution being put in place is merging or working together without people really thinking through why they're doing that so what are the reasons for doing that it can sometimes just say if you've got one practice with a set of problems and another practice with a set of problems you end up with a bigger practice with more complexity and twice the amount of problems so it can actually make things worse so it isn't a solution in itself it's a means to actually be able to put other solutions in place and often people miss that part of the thinking out so it's the mindset that if we get bigger, we'll be better and all our problems will be solved. But actually, that's not always how it works in practice. You need to put a little bit of thought into what the vision is and what you're trying to achieve by doing it. Yeah, and quite a lot of the times, you know, this is the idea of different types of goals. So you've got goals that you're working towards and goals that you're trying to get away from. And often with smaller practices where you've got, as we have now, lots of partners who are looking to retire and kind of exit general practice then you have the ones who are left thinking i don't want to be left on my own so what i need to do is merge just so that there's more of us which, which is fine and it does create a resilience i think about having more gp partners but there needs to be more thought about then how you bring those values together and, and what things you're going to do differently together to sort of realize some of the benefits and the sort of potential that can exist by bringing those practices together so you've helped a lot of practices that have been in trouble get out of trouble and this podcast is about you know the things that we can do the small changes that we can make to actually do more than survive to thrive in our workplace so what have you seen doctors and practices do that actually has made a difference yeah it's interesting <laughs> so I mean there are a couple of places to start so I think if you're looking for what can we do in our practice that's going to make a big difference then I think there isn't actually a better place to start than the 10 high impact changes and the whole time for care program and there's a whole team there who will actually come into practices and provide you know hands-on support for practices to tackle the issue that the practice wants to deal with and things like workflow optimization you know where the sort of mail is being dealt with by the admin staff under sort of protocols and supervision by the gps rather than by the gps themselves that can literally save you know, half an hour to two hours a day hours. of GP time. Mm. It could make a, those things can make a, a real difference on a day-to-day -day basis and that's definitely worth persevering with. But I mean, even that, if you take that as an example, I've been in practices where that's been introduced. And so what happens is, let's say there are five partners in a practice and you'll get one who's really keen. I, I really want to do this. I think it's going to make a real difference to the practice. You've got this 
group in the middle who are like, okay, we'll go along with it. We'll see if it works. And then you've got one who's like, nope, it's my mail. I'm accountable. There's no way an admin person can see that. That the risk is too high. I'm not comfortable with it. We're not going to do that. So, so sometimes in some practices that stops it because it's like either we all do it or we don't do it. So that sometimes mm. can get in the way. Or in other places, then they'll say, okay, well, let's just start it with the ones who want to. So they start it and then either then they make that work well. It kind of depends on the dynamic in the practice. And then, you know, if that one partner who's not doing it is still there at, you know, half seven at night and the other ones have gone home, they're like going, you know what, maybe I will give it a go. But if the dynamic of the partnership is such that that's a really powerful voice and they're sort of talking the change down the whole time, then it can kind of fail because, you know, the the admin staff don't get the support they feel that isolated in what they're doing and the thing doesn't work. So the sort of dynamic of the partnership, even for what might seem like a relatively simple change that can have such a big impact, can really affect your ability to introduce it. And it's that understanding why changes are working or what's stopping change in the practices is the key to helping people actually turn things around overall, I think. So making the changes that are going to be better for everybody is actually very dependent on having the whole team on board. It's thinking about the fact that change is difficult. It doesn't matter what the change is. People don't like change naturally. And so how do we as a practice approach change? So rather than just starting with a solution, workflow optimization, mm-hmm. right? Here's our solution. Just going to do it. Understand that how we do change is a really, really important part of making things better for our practice i was talking mm-hmm. to paul Deffley, who's a gp in hove who works for practice unbound on the podcast recently and we were talking about the introduction of pharmacists into practices and so do pharmacists as a role you know they're potentially 70 percent funded through pcn so they could make a really big difference for practices is that something that can make a big difference for practice and, and why is it we have this experience where some practices are saying you know what, it maybe just adds a bit of work, doesn't seem to make much difference. And then you get another practice who says, this whole thing is like totally life-changing and I don't know how we ever survived without a pharmacist. And he gave this example of the same pharmacist working to the same protocols in two different practices, kind of next to each other, these two different practices. And these two practices had that exact differential of experience where one saying it's life-changing and one saying, oh, I'm not sure it's made much of a difference. If anything, it maybe has added work. So he was trying to explore okay, what was actually different about how they operated? And the only difference was the one where they thought it was life-changing was they'd actually invited the pharmacist in to their practice meetings and they'd made the pharmacist part of their practice team. The pharmacist had done some talks on um, prescribing and medication and, mm-hmm. and just by having the pharmacist <clears throat> as part of the team had really had an exponential impact effect on the impact that that pharmacist was then able to have on that practice so it's not that solutions are either good or bad and can make a big difference it's it's how we approach them and how we can make them in so and when practices understand that they get into this mindset okay we can make this change work for us rather than will this change work that approach is what really makes a difference for practices that's really interesting because i think a lot of people think i just can't get this change through because there's just one difficult person that's blocking it But actually, we need to think much more systematically like that. And it's not just about the difficult people who are are being obstructive. It's about actually how we've planned for change. It's a much more systematic thing. 
apart from dealing with the the difficult partner because I think everyone finds change difficult don't they unless you're a really really early adopter who you know takes anything new and just runs with it we all have some blockers to change and sometimes perhaps it's just that we're a little bit further forward than than some of our our partners and colleagues yeah there'll always be resistance to change so um you know if the, the thing that I found most helpful in terms of how, how do you then think about a change process and how do you think about it in a way that's going to understand that there are going to be people who are against the change, whatever the change is. Mm. So there's a, um, there's a guy called John Cotter. He's, um, he's a Harvard professor, but he, he, he's probably one of the leading thinkers on change currently. And so he has this kind of eight step model, but it makes it sound more difficult than it is. And he has this book called um, Our Iceberg is Melting, which is, the penguin book about yeah. it's right it's a penguin book right and so yeah. it's about and so the really interesting thing about the way that he thinks about change is you start with a real focus on the problem so you're you're what you what you have to do is spend time really as you know says a practice really understanding the problems that you've got and creating this sense of urgency so if you have a need to change then the point at which you start to test different solutions you've got this common narrative about what we've got to change because there's an urgency about that our current situation it means things need to be different if there's no sense that actually things need to be any different or a shared sense that things need to be any different then there isn't if you like fertile ground for um introducing changes it just ends up on like force you know, this balance of force of wills between different uh, individuals within within the practice so it's fine you know the, the question can then be, well, is the pharmacist actually solving the problem we've got? And if, if it feels like it's not, what could we do to actually make it more solve the problem versus is this solution adding any value without a real sense of what adding value might need to be in the first place? And that book is called Our Iceberg is Melting by John Cotter. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's absolutely brilliant book. I thoroughly recommend it. And I'm fascinated about how we create this real need for change, how we define the problem. So in the book, I guess it's help our iceberg is melting, yikes, we need to move. And it has been called, you know, creating a burning platform before. They don't really like that analogy. But I'm just wondering, in general practice, is the problem not really obvious already? Right, because we're having difficulty recruiting. The workload is sky high. Everyone's feeling stressed. Is it not really obvious that we need to change so why do we have to create the well let people know about the problem in the first place yes yeah, it's really interesting <laughs> so and i've worked in practice where you know you've got partners who are literally at the end of their tether mm. and you go around and you go you know we can't cope with the workload i'm stressed about the finances i'm stressed about our property ownership ownership situation i want to leave in you know within the next three years but i can't see a way of being able to do that and then but then you say, but then when you get into a conversation about, are we going to introduce, say, care navigation, or are we going to introduce, or we're going to have conversations with other practices? It's like, no, I don't want to do that. So, so there's still a bit of work to do that goes from, yes, we've got this problem, and I think for for general practice in particular, it kind of stems from this this sort of sense that we had a model that worked for 50 years doing things exactly the same way as we've always done them so if that's not working anywhere anymore that's not my fault that's mm. the fault of the system and it's the system's responsibility to change to accommodate general practice not general practice's responsibility to accommodate the different environment it finds itself in now and i think helping people get through that mindset that says well look you can't control 
what the system does, but you can control what the practice does. So focus on the things you can control, not the things you can't control. And even if there's an injustice to that, kind of getting over that sort of emotional block that sometimes stops people making changes because it's like it's not my job to make the changes it's, it's the system's job to support us that can that can often be the the most powerful sort of lever for releasing then sort of the energy and freedom to make changes that previously hadn't been there yes i've heard it said recently that you can argue with reality but reality will win 100 percent of the time and if you just get stressed about reality, well, all you're achieving really is to be getting really, really stressed. So how do you get over this emotional response from people? Yeah, so what we have tried to do, I mean, particularly through the podcast, is is share experiences mm. of other people who've done the same thing. Mm. So it's very isolating being in general practice. So even though there are over 7,000 practices and you know thousands of GPs, it, it, sometimes it can feel like, just on your own that people don't understand your problems the system doesn't understand the situation that you're in so i think what we the kind of thing that we've people have said that they found helpful is hearing from gps who started from a situation like theirs and then talking them through how they kind of tackled it and approached it and then how they overcame the difficulties the specific difficulties that they faced because often it's the journey that's more important and sometimes it's difficult isn't it you talk to people when they've made a change and it just sounds rosy and you think well, that world isn't anything like my world currently. But if you can get them to just remember what it was like when they started and how did they overcome some of those initial things, then that can be a really helpful way for some people just to see that they're not doing things the same the, the, the first time that anyone's ever had to do it. So stories, narrative, really important for getting anybody on board with any sort of change. Yeah, I mean, back to Cotter. So Cotter's like, mm. you know, his eight steps is the first step you know, create a sense of urgency. Second step, create a shared vision. So we understand we need to change. Then what is the vision? So where are we going? How are we going to, you know, get out of where we are now? And what does the future look like for us in something that we think is actually achievable? Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. So can I just go back to this thing about control? Because I think, you know, through my experience of doing these resilience courses with GPs, there are a lot of things that are actually under their control that they don't seem to be addressing it's just that they really seem to just lack the headspace and the time to be able to even think about what they could do and what changes they could make. You know, things that are quite simple that they could do there and then. Is that your experience too? I think, yes. I mean, obviously, that is a real challenge. I think, though, what happens is people get to the stage where they know that something needs to be different. But often the, the block there can be, well, what do we do? So even if they're mm. kind of, I'm just so finding this so difficult and I'm so busy and I know I've got to do something different, but what is it? And a change like merger 
or you know whatever whatever it is feels too big and the interesting mm -hmm. thing is that sometimes what happens in that situation is that's when practice will go well you know what it's all too much now and they end up making a really big change like giving the contract back or mm -hmm. letting the hospital take over their contract so they can just all become salaried which is actually it's actually a more difficult change to go through than mm -hmm. actually some of the smaller things that that people have been able to do i mean and just on the flip side of that is it's quite a lot of experience of of individuals who have then find a way of making change they talk about you know this quality improvement methodology and they talk about that being a really life-changing moment for them they've been on this course on quality improvement and just learn you know what making a change just could be me doing one thing differently with one patient tomorrow and just testing it and if it didn't work then changing it and doing it with two patients the next day and then building it slowly and just the sense of empowerment and control that comes from understanding that you can make change in that way rather than having to be like big bang the whole time people have been really transformational so one small change at a time and just try stuff out. So what would you say to an individual who was working in a practice or a similar organisation who wasn't a partner or part of the management team, but could see that things needed to change and really wanted to drive a change through? How can they do that without running the business? We actually had on the podcast a lady called Liz Phillips a couple of weeks ago, and she had been a salary GP for over 12 years. And she had got a bit frustrated in a bit the way you described, like she could see that changes needed to happen, but didn't feel able to influence some of those changes. And so, and she was actually at a quality improvement course. And I was like, and then suddenly she talks about having this like moment where she thought, if I was a partner, I could actually, I would own this business, you know, I'd be, or I'd be a part owner of this business and can start to make some of those changes. And she actually became a partner. So I'm not saying that's the answer for everyone, but what's interesting <laughs> was it, there, there, is a, there is a start of a movement back to partnership, I think, that I've noticed over the last 12 months because people understand the sort of freedom and ability to control that comes with being a, a GP partner. And it's one of the things that I find most attractive about general practice is that they are their own businesses that they can't NHS England can't tell GP practices what to do and they can set their own culture and they can and they can do things the way they want to do it. I mean I know there's a lot of directives and it doesn't always feel like that but but trust me there's a lot more freedom than if you're in a NHS statutory mm -hmm. body something like it people who've worked in CCGs will know what that's like and so it, it's really interesting Liz then talking about how she's just found it being transformational becoming a GP partner the other group that we've also sort of had a, a podcast series on us is, is locum gps mm. so for locum gps it can be very isolating yeah. and one of the things that they've found that's made the biggest difference for them is this idea of setting up like chambers of locums so well so basically locums basically forming a group that they own and that ability to be part of a group that shares kind of you know stories sort of almost like clinical sort of sharing they found that can be quite transformational just in terms of the support resilience uh, and ability to feel a sense of well it's a perfectly valid choice for a gp to be a locum it gives a route into that that i think can be more sustainable so get some colleagues around you and together as a group you're going to be in a much stronger position than just an individual saying look i need to make this change here it is difficult if you're in a practice and you really want to make the change 
and but you know there are people like particularly you know partners or powerful people in the back who don't want to make the change going ahead and doing it anyway isn't something that i would recommend as the as the first approach because it can be really demotivating if you start something you start to get some sort of traction but then it gets stopped because there were people mm. who didn't want to do it and then they're kind of more powerful than you and they kind of stop it so i, I wouldn't advocate that because it can that can just lead to making things feel even worse at the end where you know promising pilots are then are then kind of stopped i think you've got to focus on this kind of how do you work to create this shared sense of things are not okay and the shared sense of things need to be different before you then move into okay what's our overall vision for where we want to get to and then what are the changes we need to make you can't just start with a change so what sort of role would an organization such as Ockham Healthcare have in helping practices to do things like this and make these changes well we found recently that I mean, there are people who help practices make individual changes in their practice, like the time for care team, probably better than we can. So what we've been doing is more helping practices work with each other. Mm-hmm. So that's like, so no one's in charge in a, in a group of practices. So you can't just tell the group of practices what to do, but it's like, how do you understand the potential? It's the same thought processes that we've just described. So mm-hmm. what are our collective set of issues? How could working together start to make a difference to those issues? And how do we start to enact those in a way that actually makes a difference? And, and then doing some things early on that make a tangible difference that create a story that you can then go back to. So, you know, we collectively deployed a paramedic who then did the shared visiting service. And now we only have to do, you know, one or two visits a week versus you know 20 a week and that's changed our life in this way that really starts to say working together as a group of practices is making a difference for us versus we now go to this extra set of meetings and have to agree things with an extra set of people which can just feel time consuming and a waste of time yeah I guess working in a PCN is a bit like going back to being a non-partner I mean nobody owns the primary care network do they and it now comes down to influencing without hierarchy and that's where narrative comes in and is so important sort of the stories we tell. So are there any other ways of influencing where we don't have the hierarchy behind us? Well, the, I mean, for PCNs, I think, and consistently, it comes back to spend time with the practice. One, sort of building the relationship. So do you as mm-hmm. a PCN clinical director, do you understand the specific problems? in each of your practice because if you're going to start talking about things you're going to do you're going to need to understand how they relate Mm. to the problems that each practice is facing and then get your practice together sort of time out of you know day-to-day life to agree what are we trying to do with this PCN what's our vision what's our kind of shared purpose and what's our shared sort of story about where we want to go and how we want to use this opportunity I know that sounds kind of fluffy and you know with the real the real challenges of workload and finance it feels it feels like maybe it's a waste of time doing that but really to for it to impact on those things that are real then PCNs need to spend that time because that's going to enable real changes to happen going forward and without it it's just it'll be a constant fight so we're back to getting people in the same room and talking to each other that's i mean unfortunately when you're making change across a group lots of people you kind of do have to get together you kind of do have to talk to each other 
And it's amazing the amount of practices out there that don't actually talk to each other very much. I mean, they might have clinical meetings, but they just sort of just discuss the patients and then they scuffle off back into their rooms and just get their heads down and get on with the work. But they don't spend much time thinking about actually how are we working together and, and what's actually going on. I mean, yeah, I've been to practices where just because of the pressures of the workload and you know, they've lost some GPs, the thing that's gone has often been the like 11 o'clock coffee. Mm. And then often after working through some stuff, one of the things they try to reintroduce is how do we have coffee together? And partly that's about sort of reconnecting with each other on a more regular basis and partly just supporting each other when things are really mm. tough. How do you have that time, even if it's only 10 minutes in a day, where you actually can support and connect with each other? It's, it's a really important thing to, to protect rather than it being the first thing that goes when you're busy. Yeah, I've actually left practices because they haven't done a regular coffee break or lunch break because it's so important, isn't it? Firstly, just for a bit of human connection during the day. And you can always just sort of ask a second opinion about that patient you've just seen. Um, and secondly, you just need a bit of caffeine and to take a break. And there's so much evidence out there, isn't there, about the importance of informal interactions with a team for promoting performance and also building trust within the team. And I guess if you want to get a change through, no matter how small it is, it's a great time to start talking about it and, and sharing those stories about what's been working and, and why you want to do it. Exactly, yeah. And plus, if you have started to like create a narrative, you can reinforce that narrative or adapt the narrative as you're going through in that time. Whereas if you just only meet once a month, it's like what the world's changed for everybody. You know, things change for individuals really quickly. And in a month, people can be in a completely different situation than they were a month ago. Things don't stay the same just because you agreed something a month ago. And it's very difficult to build trust, isn't it, between people if you're not seeing them regularly and you're not able to ask them how their kids are or what happened on their holidays and, and just simple things like that. So, Ben, any top tips for GPs or other professionals that know they really need to make a change and are completely at the end of their tether but don't really know where to start? What two things should they do? two things should they do so i think the first thing that they should do is find a way of making change so if they haven't got a model so that the model that i've always used since 20 years ago is the thing called the model for improvement which is literally just start with what is the change that you want to make second how are you going to know if it's successful and third then what changes are you are you going to make to test to test that so you'll start with the result second is the measure third is the test that you're going to put in place don't start with the tests and work out the measure and the impact seconds so I, I think having an actual way of doing it and then the second thing is start small so don't spend three months planning a major change not having the time to do it and getting frustrated when nothing's happened work out a test that you can do tomorrow with your admin team or you know, the way you manage your clinic or whatever it is. So the sense of empowerment that comes from just trying something different. And then if it works, great, keep doing it, build on it. If it doesn't work, adapt it, try something different, find something that does work. Great. And I think the learning for me from our conversation is that you almost need to expect resistance from people going through any change because that's just the way people are. You do have to expect resistance. And, and you get to a point in the change process where... People will either come along, you know, when you're in it, you've got the group, you know, the majority of the group, you always get in the, 
in the penguin book there's a penguin called Nono, right and say so, <laughs> and say this penguin he's like you've, you've all you're going to have your no no right the one who mm. always says no to whatever the change is and then down the line as you're moving forward you have to make a decision are you going to do something you know are you going to stick with having no no around and find that a useful way of bringing history and challenge into the conversation or is or are you going to have to change that within your team so there's a kind of but that isn't to start off with that's like down the line as you're mm. moving forward because there's a point you know when you're like a you know year in or have a long into a change process where you kind of you know what this is really now stopping us moving at the mm. speed that we need to or actually it's really valuable because it stops us being unsafe or going too fast or doing things that we shouldn't do so there is a balance to find yeah so there are helpful no-nos but there are also very unhelpful no-nos so what would you say to someone who finds themselves in the role of a no-no often feels they are quite resistant to change how can they be positive and actually help the change happen without too much disaster we know we're all no-nos for some things right Mm. so we there's always something that you know all of us find all of us find change difficult there are some things that we're open to and some things that we find uh, more difficult so it's trying to say for all and often no-nos don't know that they are that person it's Mm -hmm. not like you know so other people might think that they know they are so I just think as an individual if you think I find myself resistant to lots of change thinking about well what changes can I try what are the things that would work for me because the key to unlocking people who are quite fixed in how they do things if suddenly because things are tough and then you and you don't like the idea of change because that feels like it's going to have more stress but if you do make a change and it does make a difference it can kind of unlock it for people and some sometimes those people who start as the biggest you know uh, critics of change can turn into the biggest advocates they're the ones who are like we really i really didn't think this was going to work i was really against it but look how it's changed my life and they'll 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 be the ones you know talking about it to everyone else for you so they can really mm. turn if they're on so it, it it's like how can you help people just to unlock and see the benefits of a change? And sometimes it can be really transformational for those individuals. Something that's really helped me when thinking about change and how people are reacting to it is understanding that people do go through the sort of Kubler-Ross change reaction or the, the grief reaction, you know, sort of denial, then anger, um, and then the energy moves a little bit on and they accept it and then they move forward with it. And understanding that people do have to go through that and just treating them with a bit of compassion and patience and waiting because they will get there eventually. That's right. That's right. Everyone, everyone, will, move, everyone will move through that curve at a different pace. And so just that kind of recognition that, OK, it's not necessarily true that just because you're at a certain place, everyone else should be at the same place as you are and recognise that people will be at different paces and it'll take different amounts of time for people to adjust to the changes that are introduced. And I guess you've also got to communicate with people very differently depending on where they are in that change curve. So if they're still in the denial section, there's no point in being really enthusiastic and saying, yeah, come on, let's get on with it. If they're still in denial or they're feeling very angry, I guess you've just got to sit with them for a little bit in their denial. (laughs) There is, but also the kind of look at these results, look at at what we've achieved, look at the difference it's making, you know. Well, yes, thank you. And yeah, I think we could talk about change for ages and ages. It's just so interesting. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast and and talking to us about it. So Ben, if people wanted to reach you and find out more, how can they contact you? So lots of ways to contact me. So on email, I'm ben at 
ockham.healthcare or on Twitter, I'm at benxgowland or, or come to the, the website, which is just ockham.healthcare. And I'd really recommend Ben's podcast, the General Practice Podcast, and we'll put uh, links in the show notes on the website so you can find it. So, Ben, thank you so much for coming on and we'd love to have you back on the podcast soon. Perfect. Thanks, Rachel. Bye now. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now. <laughs>